Hey, this is Arif Rahman. Uh, I'm a Bangladeshi blogger currently living in the UK. And I certainly do not listen to I Doubt It with Dalmar. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, welcome once again to the show. This 229th episode of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, Jesse Dalamore, and I am joined, sitting delicately and ladylike across from me, the lovely and talented Brittany Page. Happy Independence Day. <laughs> that is right. Happy birthday, America. Mm-hmm. Kind of birthday. Yes. The date which we, as a country, 200 odd years ago, declared our independence from the ruthless, tyrannical crown that sat atop the head of King George in England. Mm. little mini, mini history lesson. I like it. I like it. Well, we, we we sit here. We're doing the show a day late. We're actually on the 4th of July right now on mm-hmm. Independence Day. We've got margaritas in front of us. Yes. As we celebrate our independence. With margaritas. With margaritas. <laughs> Why not? But before we start the show, I want to... But can I just... Would you allow me, Brittany? Can I can I talk about white people? Uh sure. I have I have a few <laughs> I have a few complaints. A few complaints about white people. About fucking white people. If you will indulge me, I know I'm not really one to talk about my my aggravation right now because you know of my I'm a person of color. <laughs> that was uh that was a long pause, Brittany Page. I don't understand what you're saying. Well, I'm trying to figure out what you're saying. Color, was that a joke? My color is kind of like pink. Oh, I'm okay. almost like a newborn mouse. So it's a ginger joke. <laughs> I guess so. Okay. That's why I didn't get it. Because I'm pretty I'm pretty uh I'm pretty white. Yeah. I'm pretty white. Mm-hmm. But Although I am more pale than you. You are. You you have an inability to suntan, and I inexplicably mm-hmm. am able to. But uh, my my issue right now that I want to talk about, and it does involve, as you might suspect, Tommy Laren. She is the the young lady, and by young lady, I don't mean that euphemistically. I mean she's young. She is. Are you twenty three s- years old? Saying that as an insult? No, it's just factual. Well, she's getting ready to be twenty four. All right. Well, so she's she's getting long in the tooth now. On but... August eleventh, everyone, be sure to tell her <laughs> happy birthday. Anyway. She's at it again. I mean, she never really stops being at it. Well, she always has those final thoughts with Tommy videos that she puts on her Facebook page. Right. Well, every day. You know, I don't think that, uh, I don't think she has an actual show. Oh, I think she does. I don't think so. I think, well, I don't know. Maybe you're right. But I think that her show is just that final thought. It's like not. La- no, she no. has an actual show. Yeah, huh? but you need to pay for a Blaze subscription. So they, oh, that's they, not going to happen. They tease her show with the final thoughts video, and people love it so much that they go pay for the Blaze, right? That's the way it's supposed to <laughs> work. Oh. Theoretically, that's that's the way it's supposed to huh, happen. It's, it's not it's not working for me. And then you say, oh, I really need to watch the full thing of this hateful show. Like, if I could <laughs> watch an hour of this final thoughts, right. that's... That is what I need. Well, here's here's the deal. Is she's at it again. This time she's talking about Jesse Williams and a speech he gave at the BET um, Music Awards or the BET Awards, the Black Entertainment Television Awards. And she, of course, is... Well, here, here's my problem with the white people thing. This is why I made the comment. It's, listen, fellow white people, when, when, when a black person says, hey, listen, things are kind of shitty for us. And the cops are kind of killing us. And it's a bummer sometimes. You don't have to feel like you are responsible personally for it. That person's not blaming you individually. 
the problems that are being talked about are systemic ones. They are larger issues from a national macrocultural level. So you think that's what the problem is, that people hear these criticisms and they think they feel threatened. They feel personally threatened or attacked because right. of the statements that are being made. I, I think that's largely what it is. I also think there's a component of things are not like they used to be in the 1950s when whites were dominant. When you looked around and all you saw were white faces. Now you, you see, you know, gay and lesbians. I mean, that's not a color issue, but, you know, it's something that doesn't look like the rest of us kind of a thing. They look around and blacks have more prominent uh, positions within the media, within culture. And it's accepted. It's okay. It's good. We are celebrating diversity on a daily basis. And there's a wide swath of white America that is threatened by that, as as evidenced by the fact that Donald Trump is enjoying robust support amongst that particular facet of our society. Mm-hmm. Well, Tommy Lahren, she did her, her this latest deal in her final thoughts, and we're not going to go fully through it and break it down, but I, I did want to, I did a video on YouTube, it's out there. You could just search Dollamore and Tommy Lahren. And it'll come up on YouTube. It's also on the Facebook page. There's lots of look. Just Google. You'll you'll you're you're a resourceful, uh, knowledgeable, understanding audience of how to find stuff. But uh, there's some stuff I didn't talk about in the video that I kind of wanted to cover. And one is how hateful did she seem to you, Brittany? Yeah, she's very hateful. I mean, just the way she says black people. And it's it's not like, oh, yeah, you know, I I have some issues with what Jesse Williams said and, you know, the black people who support him. It's not just mention it as a, as a, as a, as a, in the course of conversation. It's with disdain. Well, this is something we've talked about a lot where you don't have a lot of reasonable people that are able to make a career out of talking on the TV, right? That's right. why you have characters like Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, you know, you need these personalities in order to keep people entertained for some reason. I don't know why. I think people are drawn to that, uh, the consternation. Oh, I'm fired up and I'm outraged by this. And it, it, it's one entertaining, but it also feeds something at our basis levels. Yeah, I, I guess I'm not entertained by it. So when I watch Tommy Lahren, I'm thinking the whole time, wow, I really don't want to watch this because I mean, it's difficult for me to watch her videos Yeah, because she's so hostile, so aggressive. And the whole time I'm just wondering why why she's so angry and hostile and aggressive well even let's just play the very first sentence welcome back for final thoughts well the bet awards were last night notably they were very black oh but can i say that what with my whiteness and all they were notably very black Brittany. the black entertainment television awards it's shocking if i watched them this is me being Tommy Laren. Eh, I watched them. Is that better? <laughs> no. <laughs> I watched them, and you know what I took away from it? Notably, there was a lot of black people there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. And if you look at the likes that she gets, I mean, there are massive amounts of people liking these videos, sharing these videos, commenting on these videos, pra praising what she's saying. And it's a little alarming because nothing profound is being said. Right. So well, to value this lack of, I don't know, intelligent argument is a little disturbing. Well, what she completely distracts from what what largely was an awesome speech given by Jesse Williams, whom I wasn't aware was a person. I didn't know who he was until this came about. And I did a little research and found out, but... I don't watch that Grey's Anatomy show, so I did. Yeah, you know, I don't know who he is, and I, I bet you that's the case with her too. It's doubtful she actually knew who he was. Mm -hmm. I still have reservations about whether or not she writes her show or her her uh, little final thoughts. Right. It sounds like an angry white dude, who, like I said before, is looking around, 
and there's less white faces than he's used to, and he's starting to get a little freaked out. Well, I've been saying I think that Tommy Lauren must have like her finger on the pulse related to Ann Coulter's health and well-being or something, (laughs) because I feel like she's after this replacement. Yeah, she wants that niche. She is going to be the new Ann Coulter. She has that bleach blonde hair. She looks similar to Ann Coulter, not just because of the hair, just generally speaking. And, you know, I think she... Are you saying hateful people all look alike, Brittany? No. (laughs) But I think she's wanting to get into that role. Yeah, sure. Into that market. Sure. Whatever that means. Anyway, I, look, it's just it's perplexing to me, and I wanted to draw the audience's attention to it. I'm sure our very in-touch and in-tune audience already knows, but it's just very weird to me. So, anyway, uh, if you have the time, go check out the video on YouTube and maybe even get involved in the conversation that's taking place in the comment section on the video because <laughs> um, while this is far more tame than my last video relative to her and the Beyonce halftime show, it is still a pretty spirited, fiery conversation. So that is that. We we don't have any listener communication today. I guess everybody's taking a long holiday weekend. But we do have some follow-up. One piece of follow-up. We have talked about a young girl named Hildy who does her own little news program. We've played clips from it. And apparently she is moving up in the world. Right. Hildy Lysak, the nine-year-old reporter who runs Orange Street News in Pennsylvania, the one who was told to just stay home and stick to tea parties and dolls because she shouldn't be reporting on the things that she does, like when she's chasing down drug dealers in her neighborhood. <laughs> who, who may have guns. Yeah. <laughs> It was just announced that she has acquired the rights to a four-book mystery series that will be co-written by her and her father. So she has a book deal now. Yeah. Nine years old, scored a book deal, and they're going to be books targeted towards children age six to eight, and they will feature Hildy and her older sister Izzy as the main characters reporting around town. So kind of a modern day Nancy Drew type of situation. It sounds like it will yeah. be titled Hildy Cracks the Case. <laughs> That'll be the series? Or are they not given a bunch? I'm asking a bunch of very detailed questions that maybe I should just shut up. That is the first book. That's what the first book will be called. And she says, I want kids who read these books to love reporting like I do. And in this uh, article that was reporting this information, she's wearing a button that says, I love free speech. So that's awesome. You got to support Hildy and buy her book. And in an associated way, you would be supporting free speech. Right. Because she loves her some free speech. Mm-hmm. And we love free speech. So by the transit property, we love Hildy. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, this next story is kind of alarming, and I wanted to talk about it because I think that it has more far-reaching implications than just the story itself. Tonight, there are growing concerns and questions after a gay rights activist... And a YouTube star says he was the victim of a hate crime in West Hollywood. But now he is the one facing charges. KK9's Peter Dowd spoke with the people who say that he flat out lied about what exactly happened. He's live outside the West Hollywood Sheriff's Station tonight with the very latest details. Peter? Jeff, right now this story is drawing a lot of attention on social media. That man says he was the victim of a hate crime, but witnesses and investigators here say otherwise. Being different is what makes you, you. He's a YouTube star known for his LGBT channel. The Calumix Wigan is now getting attention for a much different reason. After posting on social media, he was the victim of a brutal hate crime, adding, the authorities should have been there to help and protect me, but instead they treated me like a second-class citizen. The 26-year-old from England claims three men attacked him early Monday outside the Abbey Bar in West Hollywood leaving him with several broken teeth and stitches in his forehead. But investigators say those injuries were self-inflicted and point to this booking photo of McSwiggin taken after the alleged attack when they arrested him for vandalizing this car. And just to interject here, because that he didn't give any description of what the picture, his picture, and then we'll get back to the clip, 
His picture, which was taken after the arrest, after when he claimed he had been beaten and his teeth chipped, was a a beautiful picture of a handsome young man. Yeah, he doesn't look like anything happened to him. (laughs) At all. They say McSwiggin used a payphone inside the sheriff's station to hit himself in the face before he was taken to the hospital for treatment. It's all completely made up. Damian Nichols says he and his friends were with McSwiggin that night. He says McSwiggin was drunk and acting violently after leaving the bar and then scratched his friend's Lexus, ripped off a side view mirror, and even crumpled up the license plate. He destroyed someone else's car and then tells the police and tells the the media that that person's car that he destroyed was beating him up. Absurd. In addition to vandalism, deputies have also charged McSwiggin with filing a false police report. Nichols says that as a gay man himself, he is offended McSwiggin is calling the incident a hate crime, especially in light of recent events. After what happened in Orlando, to, for somebody to use some kind of hate crime like that is, it, it's unexcusable. And on Facebook today, McSwiggin admitted that he did hit himself in the face with a payphone. He says he did it because he was desperate to get to the hospital and this was the only way. He also admits that he vandalized that car, but he still maintains that he was a victim of a hate crime. We also reached out to McSwiggin, both by email and on social media, but he did not get back to us. So this is clearly a problem. And the reason I bring this up and the reason I want to talk about this is not to shame this guy, Callum McSwiggin. It's not to shame him because I think he needs help. I think that he's, he's uh, I don't want to say sick, but there's clearly something that needs to be addressed here. But what I want to talk about is the fact that this is dangerous and problematic for the rest of the gay community because when something actually does happen and things do happen, People act hatefully and violently toward the LBGT community all the time. And when a guy does something like this, the next time it really happens, in the back of people's minds, and more problematically, in the back of authorities' minds, they'll be thinking, hmm, is this another one of those Callum McSwiggin cases? Is this person crying wolf? Is this fabricated? And that's a problem because then a real victim might not get the help that they need as quickly as they need it because this dumbass did something stupid. Well, and also the it just gives more fuel to the fire for the GOP, for example, to pull this one case and say, right, look, yeah. this guy faked his attack. How many other people are faking their attack? Who should we really believe when they're attacked? Because they could all just be lying. Right. And this one case gives them the ability to do that. And yeah. of course, it's stupid that they would do that. But that's what people it's, do. It's the GOP, Brittany. Well, <laughs> they're fine sometimes. Ah, I wish I had crickets. Ah, I wish I had crickets right now. I can't do it. Well, this would be a good time to talk about the Quinnipiac poll then. Yes. There's there's no better time to talk about the Quinnipiac poll. Well, because you're speaking to the dangerous polarization that exists in this country where you can't even say something positive about the GOP. Well, no, 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 no. I, I, there's, there are some things I can say about the GOP of old, but this new party isn't isn't something that deserves praise. Okay, maybe not the party, but the people. Republicans, Democrats. I wasn't Democrats. talking about people. Okay. I was talking about the party, the GOP. Okay. And it, there's a, listen, there there are minor things that the party claims to stand for that can be touted as positive, for sure. The problem is, is that claiming to be for something and then actually enacting that are completely separate things all too often. So what I thought happened was <laughs> it's like when you tell someone that you're a conservative. Yeah. And their and, and their down. face kind of scrunches up. Yeah. Like wait, what? That happens a lot. Okay, I'm going to walk away and not even speak to you anymore yeah. because that's bad. Yeah. So this Quinnipiac poll, they asked many different questions, but there's one I want to focus on. <laughs> and Sorry. I'm just remembering the time that that happened. The that, that person in your cohort at school when I said that I'm an atheist, but I'm also relatively conservative. 
and their face scrunched, and they it was is palpable disgust on their face. Yeah, I that th- happens I, a lot. Though. I think that kind of polarization is a problem. Yeah, I agree. So, and that's based on people, right? Not party. Sure. So, so anyway, sorry. Go to the Quinnipiac poll. Okay. So this one question: In the wake of the recent Orlando shooting, Donald Trump has suggested that President Obama may sympathize with terrorist organizations <laughs> such as ISIS. Goddamn. Do you agree or disagree with this idea? Now, this is where it gets really disturbing. Republicans, 55% agree. That is a problem. 33% disagree. Ah, so now, the, more than half right, 55%, agree yeah. that President Obama sympathizes with ISIS and radical Islamists. Mm-hmm. Ah, damn. Yeah. On the Democratic side, 94% disagree. And 4% agree. I don't know what's going on there. I think the margin of error is like 3%. Right. Well, there's also probably I don't know. And they're not reporting the I don't know. No, don't know is 1%. Oh. (laughs) So, yeah, something's going on there. Yeah, that's weird. But 55% of Republicans think President Obama may sympathize with terrorist organizations such as ISIS. And I don't know if it's Donald Trump who planted this idea in their heads or if it was there before him. But this is dangerous, and this is the kind of polarization I'm talking about, where Republicans and Democrats are so at odds that they will go this far to believe that a Democrat is evil and must be associated with a terrorist organization. Against all evidence. Well, yeah, we were talking about this yesterday. Obama has been in office (laughs) for almost eight years. What is he waiting for? Yeah, when's he going to get to get? When is he going to show his true colors, right? That everyone's been waiting for. Right. And also his almost unfettered use of drones, wiping out civilians as collateral damage in his drone ISIS attacks and his Al Qaeda attacks. Is that just a ruse before he unveils the curtain of of Sharia law upon America. Right, before he refuses to leave the office, which right. is another idea I'm seeing floated oh, yeah. around. For, well, that same idea was floated around at the end of the Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. That same kind of paranoia, it runs deep when whenever a, a polarizing type of figure um is 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 departing. Hmm. So Yeah, so this was very disturbing to me, and I mean, I don't really know what else to say about it other than I am really disturbed. <laughs> disturbing stuff, Brittany, is very often disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, let's move on. But before we do, because we didn't get an email, we didn't get a voicemail this, this show, I want to leave the phone number and the email address. 657 657- Four six four seventy six zero nine. That is the voicemail line. If you'd like to call and leave a fewer than three minute message, we would love to hear from you. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We would love to hear from you, whether it be about the Tommy Laren thing, the this Callum McSwiggan, or any other topic that we talk about this show or prior. And now, before we move on, Brittany has a beautiful message about the possibility of you joining the ranks of Patreon and PayPal supporters. Well, we love our Patreon and PayPal supporters. A lot. Maybe in a creepy way when it comes to me. Oh. I have creepy love for them. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) So patreon.com slash I doubt it with is where you can find our Patreon page. You can give any amount per episode and you can also set a monthly maximum so you never go over your budget. Any amount. Any amount. You can give 25 20, cents. 24 cents an episode. You can give $1.99 per month. Any amount. Am I? I'm kind of stepping on your. Yeah, you told me to do it, but really you're doing it. <laughs> So listen, it, it really it really helps because we do, you know, two episodes a week, an hour long each. We put a lot of effort into each show. 
research each show, take listener feedback for each show. We're, we're pretty intensively involved with the show. So anything you guys choose to give us, we really appreciate. And it goes a long way towards supporting our efforts and your efforts with us and moving the conversation forward. And Patreon isn't the only way to give. We know um, we have plenty of listeners who give to us on PayPal as well. So we don't forget about those listeners. And thank you very much for giving on PayPal as well. Right. And then also, and then we'll move on. If you'd like to make a purchase and support the show that way, if you're an Amazon shopper, go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. There's probably an Amazon banner right there, but if not, you can go to support the show, make your purchase, click through and make your purchase on Amazon, and every single little bit goes a long way. And if you're going to spend your money anyway at Amazon, why not help support your favorite show filled with news news and ridiculous comment? We haven't done that in a not. I mean, we haven't consistently done that in a long time, and that started from I think our first five shows. Yeah. So I just checked, and we have ninety four reviews. So we're six away from one hundred reviews on iTunes. Oh. So if you want to help us out, go leave us a review and a rating, and that would be awesome. Profanity free because iTunes doesn't like. The foul mouth fuckers. Yes, you will get <laughs> filtered if you cuss in your review. All right. Well, let's move on with the program. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Well, we talked about six or eight months ago about a guy who stood up and called Obama, like we were just talking about, a secret Muslim. And he, this was at a Donald Trump rally. I guess I should say that. And we, Donald, we all know where it was. And, right, right. And Donald Trump didn't correct the guy. He just, uh-huh, yep, right on, right on, my, my white brother. Okay, he didn't say that, but he didn't... <laughs> He didn't say they, anything to they, correct him. They, that's right. So he, kind he of. let it go. Well, this same kind of thing happened at another rally just recently. I love the poorly educated. And goddamn, let me tell you, the, the people, the types of people that show up at these rallies are caricatures of caricatures. It is awesome. Just to mix quickly. Um, homeland security and jobs. Why aren't we putting our retiree, our military retirees on that border or in TSA? Get rid of all these heebie-jobbies they wear at TSA. Well, I, I've I, seen them yeah, myself. I, I understand we need that. the veterans back yeah. in there to take it. They've fought for this country and defended it. They'll still do it. Okay. Thank you. You know, and we are looking at that. And we are looking at that. We're looking at a lot of things. I have to tell you, as long as you bring it up, though, in terms of the border, some great people and Al, you know this, we were endorsed, I was endorsed, by 16,500 Border Patrol agents. These are the people that take care of the border. And first time they've ever endorsed in the history of the union or the group, it's the first time they've ever endorsed a presidential candidate. And I don't even know if they're supposed to be doing it. And they said, we don't even care at this point. <laughs> so clearly he was addressing her issue which was a very well thought out problem that she has with the TSA. It's not that she needs to take her shoes off, Brittany Page. It's get rid of all these heebie-jobbies they wear. Get rid of all these heebie-jobbies. Of course, the heebie-jobbies. Of course, she's referring to the hijab. I love the poorly educated. <laughs> and she is a little mistaken or uneducated about the issue. Brittany, it's a very serious problem at the TSA. Get rid of all these heebie-jobbies uh, they wear. And <laughs> what is disturbing is Donald Trump is giving affirmative statements while she's asking this question. Right, yeah. And then he says, yeah, we're looking into that. Okay, no. No, you're not. Right. And what are you talking about? I mean, it's really disturbing to hear the presidential candidate for the Republican Party 
answer questions in this way. And right. then, of course, he immediately pivots away, right? right? Oh, well, since you brought up the border, actually, that's not what well, was... Listen, <laughs> I'm sure in his head, he's thinking, God damn it. God damn it. Why are you do? <laughs> why are you... You're sidewailing. You're fucking me over here. Right. But the problem is, is he created this environment. Yes. He created this, this sentiment among his followers. 100%. So it's his problem... He made his bed. He's got a lie in it. He's dug his grave. He's got a lie in it. But, I, you know, it makes me wonder what our secret Muslim president would have to say to her. And we don't have time for flim flam. And that is clearly what she is propagating there. No time for flim flam. a whole bunch of fucking flim flam. Get rid of all these heebie-jobbies they wear. <laughs> Do you think she's embarrassed? Oh, no. That's a proud proud anti-heebie-jobbie woman. Do you think that she's embarrassed after receiving backlash to her question? <laughs> and people inevitably commenting on how she's using the incorrect term. She doesn't even know what she's talking about. I mean, is any of that going to get through to her? No, no. She, she, she hears what she wants to hear. She believes what she wants to believe in spite of voluminous evidence to the contrary. I wonder how she would react if you were to tell her that Muslims serve in the United States military. Yes. Right. I, mean, I wonder what she would, would, would say. Does she not believe that's true? Does she believe that they're working undercover to sabotage the country? What well, is the thinking here? That's it. It's look, freedom of religion as long as it's Christian. It's like those idiots that, yeah, well, yeah, that everybody has the right to marry. As long as you marry a woman or a man, a, a, the opposite sex. <laughs> yeah, all the gays, they have the same right to marry that I do if they marry a woman. It's that same salacious, insane logic that they use. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have the freedom of religion as long as you're worshiping Jesus. I love the poorly educated. All right. Well, things are getting bad for Donald Trump in the media digging into his affairs side of things. As we reported on earlier, the Washington Post has been kicked out of following Trump on the campaign trail. They're no longer allowed to attend his rallies and his, his, his press conferences which to me is insane because it is a major newspaper in the United States. I'd say one of the top four. And what's going to happen when you act vindictively toward the media? They're going to turn up the heat and start digging up things that you don't necessarily want dug up. Well, they have sicked a couple of pit bulls, reporters, investigative reporters on Trump about his financials and especially about his charitable giving. Here is a reporter talking in a Washington Post produced video about what exactly he's doing right now. We're looking for evidence that Donald Trump has been making good on a lot of promises he's been making in public. Number one, I am a nice person. I give a lot of money away to charities and other things. I think I'm actually a very nice person. Yeah, I'm a businessman, but I'm also a, a philanthropist. I care about my fellow man. And so I'm trying to just show that that assertion he's made about his own character is actually true. And between 2008, when he last gave to the Trump Foundation, and this May, when he gave that million dollars to veterans uh, under pressure from the media, I found one gift uh, between $5,000 and $10,000. That was in 2009. So I've tried to use Twitter to draw Trump's attention. I want his input on this. If he knows where these donations went, I'd like to have him tell me where they are so I can find them. And, prove he was right. I called and emailed, texted uh, Trump's people trying to get an answer, talk to, try to reach to his kids. So I had nothing from the Trump people at all uh, until they called at 7 a.m. after the story posted. And their complaint was only that I had used the quote that they had given to BuzzFeed. And I offered them a chance at the time saying, okay, this is your chance to give me a comment, to respond to this, provide evidence. And they haven't taken me up on that so far. I want to give this as much of a chance as I can. If Trump gets back to me or if uh, another group gets back to me and I find a donation, obviously I'll let everybody know about it. If the money's out there, you think there'd be some trace of it. Uh, and maybe I just haven't found it yet. So Trump, I think, has made a major miscalculation here relative to his interaction with the media and exactly what their capability is of digging up the improprieties. And there are many. Recently, it was released that he gave 
I, th- I believe $12,000 he bid on a signed Denver Bronco Tim Tebow jersey and helmet when T- Tim Tebow was one in the NFL and when he was not with the Jets when he was with the Denver Broncos. But Donald Trump didn't give of his own, he didn't write a check of his own accord out of his own account. He wrote a check from the Donald J. Trump Foundation. Right. Trump himself sent no money. Um, And this was to raise money for the Susan G. Komen organization, the breast cancer nonprofit, and they hosted the party. They got a payment from another nonprofit, the Donald J. Trump Foundation. Right. So the Komen spokesperson said, according to the Washington Post, that Trump has never given a personal gift of cash to the Komen organization. He paid the bill with money from a charity he founded in 1987, but which is largely stocked with other people's money. Uh, Trump is the foundation's president, but at the time of the auction, Trump had given none of his own money to the foundation for three years running. Wow. That's problematic. And further, it's being... It's being argued, it's being it's being put out there that it's likely illegal to do what he did. Well, a charity buying sports memorabilia. And what happened to the sports memorabilia? Is that now his personal property? I mean, that's or is it being featured at the charity's office? It's not a slush fund for Donald Trump to make purchases with. It's a charity to do tax avoidant work. (laughs) You're not paying taxes when you're a 501c3. Right, so the IRS has rules against quote-unquote self-dealing, which are designed to keep nonprofit officials from using their charities to help themselves. That's exactly right. Those rules ban the furnishing of goods by private foundation, like Trump's, to their own officers. If the rule is broken, the person who breaks it must notify the IRS and may have to pay a tax penalty. There could also be penalties for signing a tax return that failed to mention the violation. In 2012, the tax return for Trump's foundation checked the box boxes for no it did not break the self-dealing rule wow so well we'll see what comes of this but again this I, I is hope something this was found during a review of his charitable giving because he chose to block the washington post from attending his events right and listen i agree with some that this shouldn't be the, the media shouldn't act vindictively. It shouldn't be, we're only going to look into this because we were removed. They should do this anyway. Right. All of those other media organizations who attend his rallies and attend his press conferences, they need to be just as vigorous in their investigations of Donald Trump's background, financially and otherwise, whether they're there or not. All right, well, the other thing financially related to Trump that I want to talk about is the fact that after he was called out and the media pointed out that he was was doing exactly what I've been claiming for months and months and months, should I break this out? Because of him claiming that he was self-financing, and he's not, he's loaning himself the money... Well, when the media called him out, he says, oh, well, I'm actually going to not pay myself back. That's going to be money that was donated to the campaign like any other. Well, he said that. And then when they went to look for proof of it, weird, there's no evidence that he's actually going through with that. Right, so he's claiming that that he's going, or he did claim that he was going to forgive forty five million in personal loans he had made to his campaign. But like you said, it turns out that there's no evidence that he has actually filed the Federal Election Commission paperwork that would forgive the loans in question. From NBC, quote, a week later, NBC News has learned the FEC has posted no record of Trump converting his loans to donations. To donations. The Trump campaign has also declined requests to share the legal paperwork required to execute the transaction. And the delay could matter because until Trump formally forgives the loans, he maintains the legal option to use new donations to reimburse himself. He can do so until August under federal law. That's right. So he's acting like he's going to forgive, not forgiving because it's to his advantage to not do that. Yeah. This is problematic, and it it is odd to me 
that the lemmings who follow him, who 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 worship at the throne of Donald Trump, they don't look at. I mean, the, oh yeah, he's self-funding. He's self-funding, but is he? Because the a lot of the evidence points to the fact that eh, it's he's not. Right, the not overwhelming. Yet. Not yet, he's not. The overwhelming majority of the evidence. Yeah, so that's a problem. Despite what his tweets may say. And then the last thing about Trump that I want to talk about, and it's not necessarily that this happened or anything, and there's been an allegation, and there's a lawsuit going forward, with an allegation that he raped someone many years ago, but raped a teenage girl. And this case is being allowed by a judge to move forward. And I want to talk about, one, uh, some of the details of the case, but also whether or not this is a good thing. So an anonymous Jane Doe filed a federal lawsuit against GOP presumptive nominee Donald Trump last week, accusing him of raping her in 1994 when she was only 13 years old. And largely, the media has ignored this this filing. Um. And some are arguing that that shouldn't be the case, that we should be talking about this case along the lines of um, Bill Cosby. Sure. And making it known that this is an allegation against Donald Trump and that it should be taken seriously. There's a a legal analyst for Huffington Post who wrote this article, and she really talks very vehemently about the fact that we really should, that the media has an obligation to vet this and go through it publicly publicly. And I'm torn, and obviously I'm an opponent of rape, and we go on and on and on about the evils of people like Brock Turner, of people like Bill Cosby, and the problem and the horrific nature that sexual assault as a crime is. But in this country, we do have the presumption of innocence. So should he be tried in the, in, in the court of public opinion? I don't know when it's one one allegation and it's not like I have any love for Donald Trump. I'm just I'm curious as and I'm working through it, you know, literally as I'm saying things right now. I don't know. I don't know how comfortable I am with them. The media running with this as though it's fact because the media is not always responsible in the manner with which they report the news. Well, so that's one thing Lisa Bloom says in this article, which is. The media, it's not the media's role to say whether or not this is true or not true. The media's role is to report that this case has been filed, that there's a lawsuit that has been filed. This is the context of the lawsuit, and that is it. Uh, Well, I agree with that, that it should be reported that this is happening with the caveat that we don't know anything yet. But in this article, she does go on to talk about the other women that have accused Donald Trump of rape. Oh, how there are others. Yes. Well, she talks about, of course, I know the, the, his ex-wife, right? Ivana, who under oath said that he violently attacked her, ripped out her hair and forcibly penetrated her without her consent because he was angry about a referral she had given him to a cosmetic surgeon. But later she said that she didn't mean rape in a literal or criminal sense Pulling out hair and penetration, uh, does she mean that in some odd context? That seems it seems a little fishy, her retraction of the statement. And then according to this article written by Lisa Bloom, she says a second woman accused Donald Trump of sexual assault in 1997. She was then 34 years old. Her name is Jill Harth, and she alleged in a federal lawsuit that Trump violated her physical and mental integrity when he touched her intimately without her consent after her husband went into business with him, leaving her emotionally devastated and distraught. Hmm. Well... Look, what you're witnessing here, audience, is Jesse. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, she voluntarily withdrew the case when a parallel suit against Mr. Trump brought by her husband was settled. Hmm. So yeah, that's kind of fishy, that kind of stuff. And then there was a third woman. So anyway, there's there's cases here. Right. A little concerning, you know. I mean, we don't we don't know. Not as seemingly cut and dry as the Bill Cosby case. Well, yeah, that's like 40 people or right, something. I yeah. mean, that's Up, Upwards of 50, right. Right, coming forward. Well, I, I, look, I, I guess the media should report that this is going on, but he doesn't need to be tried 
based on the jackals in the media. And ah, fuck, I don't know. I think it's tough. It's not as easy as just a yes or no. You know what I mean? Because he is presumed innocence until brought to trial. But I don't. What does bother me is the fact that he is the fishiness of him using his his substantial wealth to squash these different look, money talks to people. Right. Well, apparently the allegation is that Donald Trump had sex with this young girl at these wealthy people sex parties, basically. Yeah. Uh, and Jeffrey Epstein is someone who is extremely wealthy and had a lot of very high profile friends. Right. And he had underage girls and he would have sex with them and have his friends have sex with them. That's kind of the picture that is being painted. Like an eyes wide shut kind of thing. Very disturbing. Sick. Very disturbing. Yeah. All right. Well, we just wanted to put that out there. We wanted to talk about it with um, an open and honest kind of a way, not just witch hunty, because everybody knows my position on Donald Trump, but I want to be fair. If anything, we want to be fair, certainly. Right. Fo- follow the follow the case. Follow yeah. what happens with it. Absolutely. And we will do so. All right. Well, you may have heard. Well, obviously, everybody's heard that Hillary Clinton is under investigation by the FBI relative to her emails when she was at the State Department as Secretary of State. But what you may not have heard is that while on a tarmac recently out on the runway, Attorney General Loretta Lynch had a chance encounter which lasted a half hour with former President Bill Clinton, husband of the very woman that she is investigating. An impromptu meeting between Attorney General Loretta Lynch and former President Bill Clinton is raising questions of impropriety amid the ongoing FBI criminal probe into Hillary Clinton's email server and handling of classified information. Joining us now to discuss is WSJ reporter Devlin Barrett. Devlin, thanks so much for being with us. According to the Attorney General, the meeting was unscheduled. They just happened to be at the same airport at the same time. What does she say they discussed? Well, she says Bill Clinton came onto his uh, her airplane uh, in Phoenix Tuesday and says they talked for about a half hour about grandkids, about golf. They even talked about Brexit. She says they did not talk about the email investigation or any other issues before the department. But a lot of folks think it was inappropriate for, especially Republicans, frankly, think it was inappropriate for the attorney general and Bill Clinton to be having this private meeting uh, in a plane. Now, do others say, though, well, to be fair, these people run in the same social circles constantly. This kind of thing happens all the time in D.C., doesn't it? Look, I don't do much travel on private jets, nor do I meet my other friends on their private jets. So I'm a little bit of a loss to know how frequently private jet setters meet each other on tarmacs and just hang out. (laughs) Um, I think I think I'm sure it's true that it happens to some degree. I think of all the people you would have a private meeting with on on the tarmac, though, the Clintons are particularly a sensitive group of people for someone like the attorney general to be having an, an impromptu private meeting with. Sure, absolutely. Now, from a legal standpoint, what are the repercussions of a meeting like this? Is it simply sending the wrong message or is it something greater? Well, I spoke to a former U.S. attorney, a, a Republican, who said the, the issue really is that, you know, you create the appearance of impropriety, not that necessarily they would discuss the case or anything in, on, improper would be said about the case. But the former prosecutor said, look, you don't need to discuss the case for for him to be trying to garner goodwill with her. You know, when you talk about grandkids and golf and stuff like that, while you're while you're being friendly, you are also humanizing someone that she has an active investigation on. And that is something that could erode public trust in her ability to do her job as the attorney general. And he said that was the concern. You have to be able to convince the public that you're a straight arrow. So all of this went down, and recently, Loretta Lynch was at the Aspen Think Conference or some, some symposium where people of influence give some talks, and she was asked directly and specifically about this meeting, and this is what she had to say, kind of as though if, if she had to do it all over again, would she? 
Well, as I've said, um, you know, he said hello, and we, we basically said hello, and I congratulated him on his grandchildren, as people tend to do. And that <laughs> led to a conversation about those, those grandchildren, who do sound great. Um, and, uh, uh, and that led to a conversation uh, about his travels, and he told me what he had been uh, doing in Phoenix and, and various things. Um, and then we spoke about, you know, former Attorney General Janet Reno, um, but it really was um, a social meeting, and I, was, I certainly wouldn't do it again. Um, <laughs> and um, you know, because I think it has cast this shadow over what it should not, over what it will not touch. And that's why, as I said, I think it's important to talk about how this matter will be resolved, and how it, how the review and how the determinations and decisions will be made. And as I've always said. Uh, that this matter would be handled by the career people who are independent. Uh, they live through, from administration to administration. Their role is to follow the facts and follow the law and make a determination as to what happened and what those next steps mm -hmm. should be. Um, but, you know, in my role as Attorney General, there are cases that come up to me. I am informed of them from time to time. This case, as you know, has generated a lot of attention. Um, I'll be informed of those findings as opposed to never reading them or never seeing them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will be accepting their recommendations and their plan for going forward. What didn't Eric Holder tell you about this job? <laughs> <laughs> What's the one thing you wish he had told you? <laughs> Where the lock on the plane door was? <laughs> So funny, kind of a moment of levity, levity there at the end, but uh, this is a problem. This just is a problem, and maybe not that she initiated this because, it, by all accounts, it didn't happen that way. But Bill Clinton's not a stupid man. It's not like a chance encounter of two guys who manage WalMarts. This is a former eight-year, two-term president of the United States. An Ivy League educated person, a lawyer, a former governor of a state. Well, apparently he's not as smart as you think no. because he actually did this causing this right. well, firestorm. He did this, I believe, knowing what the implications would be. Hmm. It's This is a problem because even if they didn't specifically talk about the case, which I don't buy for a fucking second. They absolutely, she's influenced by the, the persona that is Bill Clinton. He's a big, larger-than-life character. I've met Bill Clinton for briefly, for about a minute and a half one time when I worked on Capitol Hill. And let me tell you, he is a mesmerizing figure. So for them to act like, well, all we did was talk about grandkids. Yeah, well, that's, that's still you interfering with what should be an independent, free from contamination investigation. But it's not just me who is a little suspicious of this. And it's not just Republicans who are suspicious of this. Recently on Bill Maher's show, they had a discussion. He and his panel had a discussion about this very thing. What, what is going on with Bill Clinton? I mean, they always say he's the big dog, and it reminds me of big dog's fart. <laughs> big it's not a real, this isn't a real scandal. The, if there's a con Really? No, it's not. It's a meeting on a plane, which, as you described in the monologue, was dumb. But the issue in having the government investigate itself is always whether it's going to be fair or not. That issue existed before the stupid meeting. It exists after the stupid meeting. It would exist if there was no stupid meeting. Ken Starr was a runaway political special prosecutor. People may remember that. It didn't matter whether he met with the House Republicans or not. So this has become one of those Washington things where everyone wants to make it about the meeting and not the point. Yeah. And yeah. let me let me say, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that sounds like real... No. MSNBC yeah. boilerplate. Well, Larry, I love you, but that's Attorney that's General. No, it's not the lawyer. I will tell you, as a lawyer, there is no guidance, there is no conflict of interest around interaction. Indeed, 
an attorney general has opened investigations through the FBI of multiple members of Congress was, going, right. and they'll end yeah. up interacting because they know each other. She so, was sounding today like she's going to have to quit. But the no, the, the, <laughs> the, the attorney general, because the, attorney, of the politics, not the attorney of the general, has a lot of integrity. She was very forthright, and she said very clearly, as she had said before, she's going to go and make decisions based on what the FBI recommends. That nothing has changed, and in fact, she said that had she, you know, she would not do that again in terms of this mean the optics. Yeah. Were horrible and we got to remember there's been a seven million dollar investigation around Benghazi cost the taxpayers seven million well, no, I don't know in two years. When you talk about what this meeting was, oh my God! You no, know, that has you nothing to do with look at Jim, it in Jim, context in Jim terms Gaffigan. of what the Republicans are trying the, to do. The president okay. comes to try to get on your plane. He did put her in a tight spot. He was dumb. That doesn't go to her ethics. If the president wanted to get on your plane, that's a tough that's call, right? Okay. How about saying, "I'm the attorney general. I'm looking into your wife. I'm about to indict her or not. Get off my plane, like Harrison Ford. <laughs> get off my plane." <laughs> I mean, and to spend 30 minutes, that's a long time to be talking about your grandchildren. And now, by the way, he screwed Hillary. Be he yeah. probably never did that. But <laughs> because now, when it comes to her desk, now... She's like under a, a microscope of, like she never would have been before. Because they were near salted peanuts? It doesn't make oh, any sense, on, the issue. On. Because they talked in private Please. for half an hour. No, no, wouldn't the political conflict exist if they never met? In other words, the real question, which I think is a fair question to your point, in any legal inquiry like this is, do you have someone at the top who's going to be impartial or not? Her impartiality as a member of an administration that might want Democrats to win, already in question. The meeting she doesn't melt her brain. She also reinforced the she fact that Shell's going to make the decision based on the recommendations that came from the FBI. Built, she said that. She was very forthright uh, as, and honest about it. As she should do from it the beginning. Okay, okay, all right, okay. from the all beginning. Right, all right, moving on, moving on. So, it just really boils down to, oh, we just take her word for it. We have to take her word for it. Just like we have to take Hillary Clinton's word that she didn't do anything untoward relative to the classified transference of information through her private email server. Right. Supreme Court justices recuse themselves from cases where there may be an appearance of impropriety. Why is the Attorney General of the United States not held to that same standard? We shouldn't just take your word for it that you're going to be honest. There are systems in place to ensure the confidence and faith of the American people in our government. She should resign, as far as I'm concerned. She shouldn't stay in office, whether it's Bill Clinton's fault or not, a half-hour private conversation away from prying eyes on, an, on a private airplane. Eh. No media access. You're behind the security. That's a problem. Imagine if Bill Clinton had walked into the FBI headquarters and into her office. That would have been a problem, too. Anyway, I don't think it's as easy as just, ah, oh, trust her. She's real honest. Right. Well, Gary Johnson on Sunday, the libertarian candidate for president, was interviewed by Brianna Keeler in Jake Tapper's stead. And he was asked about these two particular candidates and these some of these issues we've talked about already. Here is what he had to say about this entire Loretta Lynch and Hillary Clinton email situation. Former President Bill Clinton really sparking a controversy this week. He had a private conversation with Loretta Lynch, the attorney general, who has overseen the investigation of Hillary Clinton's private email server. Lynch is not recusing herself. She still wants to be briefed on the Clinton investigation, but she says she fully expects to, quote, accept the recommendation of the FBI and the Department of Justice. Do you think she needs to recuse herself? You know, I, I'll leave that uh, judgment to others. Um, I'm not a stone thrower when it comes to Hillary Clinton and her emails and her server. I don't think there has been criminal intent on Hillary Clinton's part, so I don't see an indictment. I would agree with that. I don't know that it rises to the level 
of criminal behavior, for me, it's a judgment thing. She obviously used poor judgment in, in the execution of this private server situation. And that poor judgment comes from the fact that I believe she thinks she's above it. She's beyond the rules. They don't apply to her. So Gary Johnson taking a more metered approach than, than I. Here he is when asked about the entire, <laughs> the entire Trump fiasco this past week. Donald Trump is moving closer at this point to picking his running mate. There's a Trump advisor who told CNN's Jim Acosta that former House Speaker Newt Gingrich is under serious consideration for the job. What's your assessment of Newt Gingrich? Would his selection improve your confidence in Trump or no? Well, uh, I have differences with Newt Gingrich, but uh, regardless of the ticket, I have real issues with uh, Donald Trump. Uh, deporting 11 million undocumented workers, building a fence across the border, killing the families of Muslim terrorists, um, all for free trade, but uh, going to force Apple to make their iPads and their iPhones in the United States, going to apply a 35% tariff on imported goods. I mean, he's a neo-isolationist. Stop. He, he raised eyebrows on Thursday. Uh, to, to that point, he told a woman in New Hampshire that he is looking at uh, when she asked about it, replacing Muslim TSA employees who wear hijabs, the traditional headscarf, with mit, uh, military retirees, with veterans. What did you make of that comment? Well, just that uh, he has said 100 things that would disqualify anyone else from running for president, but uh, doesn't seem to affect him. And uh, just turn the page and here's the page turn. Now we have another reason that uh, might disqualify a presidential candidate. That statement in and of itself, it really is, uh, it's racist. And there you have it. Candidate for, the, for, for president of the United States in the Libertarian Party, not pulling any punches about whether or not what Donald Trump says is racist. When pressed further, he Look, he, he kind of takes the tack that I take. Donald Trump, yeah, he might not be a racist. But when you say racist shit constantly at some point, you have to be looked upon as, yeah, maybe that guy's a fucking racist. So, again, I would implore the audience to take a second look at Gary Johnson. He's an honest, plain-spoken man who doesn't avoid questions. He's not evading trying to get out of answering certain things. He... He answers the questions. He's pretty straight. And he answers them correctly in this case. <laughs> he most certainly did. All right. Are you ready to uh, to land this fucking ship, Brittany? Yes. Let's do it. Ship, not shit. Taking care of biz. Malala. Who? Malala. I'm not sure I know who that is. Oh, please. <laughs> Malala Yousafzai. Malala Yousafzai. And she is the young girl who was shot in the head by the Taliban, survived. Yes. And has become the youngest person ever to win the Nobel Peace Prize. She's internationally famous for advocating educational rights for young women. A perennial badass. She's fucking awesome. She's amazing in yes. every way. And she continues to be amazing. So she charges $152,000 per speech that she gives. Now this Probably is, to just enrich in herself. To, to make herself more and more wealthy, I would assume. Well, yeah. Um, and this is compared to Desmond Tutu, who only charges $85,000 wow. per speech. Yeah. So she's... Uh, Charging a lot. So she's making more than famed religious cleric Desmond Tutu. Yes. Now that's, she that's that's boss like. Yeah, and she also wrote a memoir, I Am Malala. It was published in twenty thirteen. It has sold t over two hundred and eighty thousand copies in Britain with a total value of about two point two million pounds or three million dollars. Wow. Um or less now because the pound has taken a shit. Yeah, well, <laughs> many more copies worldwide. So she's raking in the cash, right? Yeah, I, I'm assuming that she's just, 
it's like a giant Scrooge McDuck pile of money that she's just hoarding to herself. I mean, that's that's what venerated American politicians do, like Donald Trump. Yeah. That is not what Malala does. That's She wouldn't be taking care of biz if that's what she does. Oh, I thought the, the taking care of biz was that she's amassed so much fortune. No. So since the publication of her book in 2013, Malala and her family have donated more than $1 million to charities. Wow. Mostly for education-focused programs across the world, including Pakistan. So even if they're worth $5 million, which is likely they're worth less than that, if they're worth $5 million and they've donated a million dollars, that's 20% of their net worth. That is awesome. That is, that's fucking taking care of biz. Well, in August 2015, they had a net worth of 1.87 million pounds. <laughs> so about 3 million bucks. And they've donated more than $1 million to charity. That is awesome. So Malala really is putting her money where her mouth is because she doesn't just talk about these things. She's actually donating money. She's working to better the lives of other people and to ensure that uh, girls have access to education. Yeah. So. A, a brave, brave soul who is on several terrorist organizations hit lists because she has braved to make the decision to want to be educated while at the same time being a woman, being a female. Yes. This is the kind of sick ideology that we are constantly butting up against on this show. Well, awesome. And she truly is taking care of biz. That is great. Thank you, Brittany. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's wrap the show. We appreciate you guys. We love you for, for if you're in America, happy independence day, happy colloquially referred to as the 4th of July, even though that is not the holiday. I skipped giving that whole fucking lecture again. I thought about <laughs> I thought about prompting you to do it, but I feel like one sentence is enough. Yeah, all right. Well, we love you. We appreciate you guys. Seriously, if you'd like to sound off about any of the topics talked about on this show or any other, or if you have suggestions, we want to hear them. Give us a call. Leave a fewer than three-minute voicemail, 657-464-7609, or email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Get rid of all these heebie-jobbies they wear. 